Ladies and gentlemen, this is a disclaimer that the content you are about to listen to could contain traumatic or emotional stories. If this brings up any emotions or traumatic events that you've experienced, please seek appropriate services if needed. As always, it is important that we remember that the guests are here to share with all of us, and we need to be empathetic and supportive to foster a community where individuals feel safe to share these types of stories. If you have an individual you would like to see on the show, please make sure to comment below and I will see if they're interested. If you are someone interested in being on the show, please reach out and let's make it happen. I hope you enjoy the show. Welcome ladies and gentlemen to Deep Dives into the Minds of Esports. My name is Blake Panishevitz and today I am followed by a wonderful guest, Jake Lyon, on Houston Outlaws turned amazing caster. He can do pretty much everything. I'm gonna say it. I think that he is probably one of the faces for Overwatch, if not esports in general. I think that Jake, you are you are an amazing person. I'm so happy to have you on the show. Thanks, man. I'm I'm excited to be here and talk about some things that we don't always get the chance to talk about. Yeah, and I think really easily starting it off, you are 23 years old. Uh, 22 now. Oh, 22, 22. I was close. So yeah. one of the things that I noticed is that you are a Scotch drinker. Um, yeah, I wouldn't, I don't know if I would, can, can, can put myself in that, in that, in that class and that categorization, but I, I do sometimes partake of the. Uh, you're of the legal age and I am not condoning underage yeah, drinking exactly. at all. I will say that. Only of course, for those of you legal age. Yes. Um, I saw yeah. it one time when one of your videos, you got scotch as uh, a gift and you seemed really happy. Do you, do you actually drink, because I'm getting into whiskey a little bit here in scotch. So a little bit. I, I'm still mostly a novice, um, but uh, it was great to get that gift from Cormat for our Secret Santa. It was very, uh, very Cormat of him. Okay, so when uh, you say novice, I was half, half of it was the, was the gift itself. The other half was that I got it from Cormat, which made me really happy that he was my Secret Santa. I don't know why, but <laughs> <laughs> so looking Kool at Scotch, like when you say you're a beginner Scotch, are you talking like starting out with like, like what was the first Scotch that you drank that was like, hey, I want to get into this? Um, I don't know if I ever really had the moment of like wanting to get into this. I've just had the opportunity to drink fine scotch like more times than I should have in my life, given that I don't really know anything about it. So I've kind of uh, trial by fire been been. He's like, here, try this, try this, try this. So it's it's been other people, more experienced people, that have um, shown me what I'm missing, I guess. And I've kind of learned to enjoy it. You know, that was the weird thing I never expected. I kind of was always like, yeah, whatever, okay, I'll I'll have some, sure, if you say it's nice. Uh, but then starting to enjoy it was was something I didn't really expect. But you know, hey, now I'm here. It, it's very interesting. I I still don't drink very much. I still drink maybe once in in a great while. So yeah, I'll I'll have a, a like one drink. And when I say one drink, I mean like an ounce over like some ice because I'm weak. Um, and I really mm -hmm. like it a little bit watered down. Uh, but that's something that I started to get into recently because I was doing um, keto diet and so you can only drink like liquor straight. So I was like, I better learn how to drink something that is actually supposedly delicious. It took yeah. a while to uh, kind of get into that. So I think people have started to kind of associate you as the the face of East. I mean, you went to the you went to the Olympics. You you spoke. How do you feel about that? I mean, I think it's kind of funny, but like from my perspective, all I do is I just I just like it's just kind of like my strategy for my career and. And everything is just to, to, you know, say yes to everything and to like work as hard as I can, especially in the off season when there's not as much to do for, for like the player career, then there's a lot of opportunities to, you know, expand yourself and to kind of fill other things in your life and do other interesting stuff. Like I'm still going to play next season and I'm still 
you know, really psyched about that and really want to like get back to the grind and start practicing, which I've already started to do. Um, but it was cool during the off season to kind of like, I was like, well, why not say yes to all these cool opportunities, you know, to go to the youth Olympics and represent esports at the, at the Olympism in action forum. And then the esports forum as well. And then also to, you know, like these things that people say, I guess are making me the, the face of overwatch. I mean, it's kind of hard to ever accept something like that. So you just kind of like, I'm, I don't know, I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing. Um, I guess the things that I've chosen to do have put me like more in the public eye which is kind of surprising because when I think about it, that's never what I was considering when I said yes. It was always like, wow, this is such an amazing opportunity, you know, like a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity I felt for each of these things that I've that I've done, you know, with the casting or, or with um, the International Olympic Committee. So I just kind of was like, I this opportunity came up. I was like, of course, I'll seize that opportunity and do my best on it um, and just like, you know, work as hard as I can to be successful in that. So whether that was casting or, or being a representative to the IOC. And then I, I guess... I don't know. I, I never really thought about like the grand picture of things. So from my, from my experience, it was really just that philosophy of saying yes to every opportunity and trying to work really hard. Have you always been like that where you're like, I'm just going to say yes to this. I'm going to just go out and do it. Cause that's, I would say that it is very um, different from a lot of people who are involved in gaming, just on like the people that I've met and the people I've talked to. I would say that is not a, a normal thing that I've seen a lot of the times. Yeah, that's fair. Um, I think it really comes from my parents, honestly. And that's and I really thank them for that, because maybe my mom, especially because um, my mom is definitely the, the business person of the family. Um, you know, she and my dad have a have a company together. They work together. Um, you said they work in the film industry, right? Yeah. Yeah. So they they work in video production. So they make basically commercials. And right now their main clients are biotechnology um, and, and technology in general but biotech especially because they're based in San Diego where there's a lot of um, biotech development right about now. Um, but basically, I think what I learned from them, even though they were never supportive really of gaming, I kind of had to learn in order, because I really like gaming, in order to let for them to let me game, I had to have everything else in my life you know, handled under control so they wouldn't you know, stop me basically. So I had to have you know, good grades in school and, and be doing other extracurriculars and have a sport and whatever. So I had to check all these boxes for them. But I think what that taught me was that, you know, that, that if you want to get something in life, you have to be willing to work really hard for it. And then once I had the opportunity to be in esports, I was like, I'm not going to um, I'm not going to miss any opportunity that could bring me even further, considering how lucky I am to be in this place. Mm-hmm. That is that's very interesting, because a lot of times so looking at like growing up and you being involved in all these different things. A lot of times gamers have issues with social situations. Was that ever an issue with you? Um, I mean, I would say so. Like in high school, I was pretty shy and um, reserved. But luckily, I got to do three years of college um, before I left for the Overwatch League. But um, I'm really happy about my my time at Denison University because I think that that really brought me out of my shell. I was I like made more friends than I did in high school, and I was kind of even though I was still gaming a lot because of the freedom that college allows you and just the environment being so different than high school. Um, I was, I felt kind of more at home and more able to, to make friends and find people of similar interest to myself. So I feel like college really helped me in that regard to be more ready for these, I would say social opportunities, you know, like representing esports to the IOC is really by and large a social opportunity where you have to like go meet all these different people and tell them, here's what I do. And, you know, here's what my industry is and here's, you know, what I think about it and yada yada. But it's really just a lot of um, 
talking and getting to know people and connecting. And, and that was what, for instance, the esports forum was explicitly about was really just start the conversation, get people talking about esports and, and about the Olympics and see, is there room for some overlap here? Um, and really, I think all those things are connected, right? Like that experience of improving myself in, the, in those ways, right? Being less shy, less afraid to speak my mind um, that I think I got really from college. Mm -hmm. well, well, you mentioned that you were more shy in high school. What was that like for you? What did that look like? Because I think a lot of people, especially in high school nowadays, um, we've seen different trends or different things where they have a lot of time. What did that look like for you? Um, I don't know. I, I just always wanted to play games. And that was like my my focus. I just love love gaming. And I it wasn't at the time that I was at high school, it wasn't like socially acceptable, I guess. Not that I don't know. I'm like some nerd getting getting pushed into a locker, right? It wasn't like that extreme. Uh, but I didn't feel like there were that many people at high school who kind of had my same interests who um, you know, who really like wanted to play video games the same way that I did. Like, I don't think anybody else at the school was, even though I went to, a, I went to a really big high school. So there were some people who were into gaming and people who were into really everything because the high school was so big. Um, so I did have some, you know, groups of friends and everything, but, um, I think people have this image of me where I'm like the, 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 uh, for lack of a better word, the Chad, like some popular guy. I, I think that is but, definitely a... But I, I don't know. I really wasn't. I was just like, you know, I was that kid who just um, maybe talked too much in class. That was like the one time I talked, I, I was like not shy anymore in, in school was class, really, because I, I always felt like if there was, my personality is very, I'm introverted, but if there's something to talk about that I'm really interested in or engaged about, then I can talk all day. So that's why, like, when I get on a cast, I don't feel shy at all because I'm just like, talking about the game and that's that my whole focus is just like on this thing and me and my co-caster me and zp are just talking about the game and that's what i don't feel any sort of shyness or or introversion but i would say outside of those settings where there's not such a specific focus of what you're doing um, where you're just you know hanging out or something then i'd be pretty shy and introverted and that was the time when i really just wanted to you know play games by myself mm -hmm. um so i'd say that made me I mean, I don't want to say outcast because I don't feel like that accurately describes my high school experience, but I was definitely not, um, I don't know, not one of the popular. I, I think I knew about half of the people who I graduated with. What was your graduation class? My graduating class was like 900, oh, almost 800. That's huge. But, uh, yeah, it's a big high school. So it was it was a little bit different, I think. Just the size of that high school is like very different than what most people experience. Um but yeah, I mean, I didn't, I, I just didn't really enjoy high school. Maybe it was the, the long and the short of it. Like by senior year, most of my friends had already graduated um, and I was kind of, kind of over it. So okay. high school for me was kind of, you know, I think for a lot of people, it's not really the most fulfilling time of their life. <laughs> now you seem to be someone who, who knows and seems to be in the, you either fake it really well, or I think that you're incredibly intelligent and you keep up on a lot of different things. Um, so I'm not sure which one it is. Um, do you keep up with like uh, the school systems and stuff like that? Because that was something that, like the way that schools are run. Because I remember you writing an article on like learning and learning in Overwatch. Is that something that is, is like an interest to you? Like the way that we run our school systems or the way that we we uh, handle different things, the way that we learn as individuals? Well, I definitely think the way schooling is done is super important. Like all the, the logistical nature of it and and but more than that really i think it comes down to the classroom in a big way mm -hmm. like 
if I think back to high school and I think what I'm really thankful for, it's those teachers that like really made a difference in my life and impacted my life. Uh, you know, I, I had like a few teachers that stand out to me as just, you know, being life changing really. And, and, you know, showing either, either giving me some idea or some, some, their way of teaching was so engaging and like kind of drew the students in rather than, you know, trying to put out information to them. Um, you know, encouraging students to learn as part of the course rather than making the course like the distribution of knowledge to yeah. students. Um, I felt like that that was super impactful to me. You know, I had a, I had a writing teacher in high school who I still kind of feel like was perhaps my best writing teacher ever. Um, just in terms of, you know, even though I went through like a full, you know, 400 level economics uh uh, course load in, in college, a full 400 level philosophy course load. So a ton of writing, um, at least in my school, even economics was relatively writing intensive. Um, of course, philosophy is super writing intensive as a, as a major, yeah. but I still feel like this high school teacher I had kind of really opened my eyes to writing and, and to how to express yourself and, and really how to think about when you, when you go to write a practical, you know, piece of, of work, right. Where you're discussing something specific, whether that's a book or, an event, a historical event, or a, a modern event, or are you writing like a white paper or policy paper, anything like that, any anything you write with a purpose, you know, how do you approach that purpose, and how do you give that to the reader without just saying it to them, and how do you, you know, express that most effectively in writing? Um, I feel like that, Miss Allen, shout out. <laughs> I don't think she's ever seen this, but uh, um, yeah, that was that was definitely life changing for me. You know, that uh, I think one thing she said was. The mark of an educated person is the ability to entertain an idea without accepting it, uh, which I've still kind of followed through as being one of the most important things in my life today is just being able to entertain different perspectives, even if you think offhand that they're just radically false and there's no there's no redeeming characteristics, you should still entertain them, you know, like consider why someone might think that that's super important, I think, especially in today's culture where it's very easy to say, like, look, some positions in the political spectrum, I do feel the same way about where I'm like, how can anyone think that that's so wrong, you know, but at the same time, it doesn't benefit anybody to just go that way and be like, you're stupid, you're wrong. I don't want to talk to you. If you actually take the moment to be like, well, why do they feel that way? Even though we disagree and I'm not going to agree with that end conclusion. Why do people feel that way? And starting to understand, I think, why other people feel the way they do and why they have the ideas they have is like the most important thing um, that you can do in life when it comes to, to being open and, and, and to bettering yourself is just being open to other people's perspectives. And even if you end up staying the same and you don't, you still don't agree with them, you might learn something from them despite their positions being so different. Yeah. I think it's really important to actually be open to, th I think a lot of more people are being closed off to things. Like they, they say that they're very open, but they're, very open to the ideas that they already agree with a lot of times. Uh, I think that Reddit is a huge example of very yeah. uh, closed-minded thinking a lot of time where it shifts one way or another very, very quickly. Um, and yeah, like, I mean, I think, yeah, go ahead. You know, the challenge of Reddit is just that it's, it, 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 by its nature, it's like snowball-y in mm -hmm. the sense that if you like the, I believe if you comment like release really fast when the thread is posted, that becomes like a large thread. Like if your comment is one of the younger comments or the older comments, I guess I should say on the thread, then the odds of you being highly upvoted are just radically higher. 
So if you think about that, that means that there's a degree of randomness of like who sees these unpopular threads first and comments first is radically likely to be the top upvoted comment, which is basically thought of as the expression of all Reddit of like on this topic of the thread is like, what's the top voted comment? What are like the top whatever X voted comments? Those are the ones that are like, oh, well, this is what people think because it's upvoted. But I mean, of course, people there was a, there were a large number of people that agreed with that sentiment or, or wanted to upvote that sentiment. But at the same time, you have to factor in the randomness of that sentiment being there first to be upvoted. Um, and I think that's not something that you can really comprehend in terms of like you can't think about, well, what if someone posted something else early? You know, you, you don't you just don't know. And that's that's, I think, the problem with Reddit in terms of expressing a sentiment of a community is that there's a high degree of randomness based on who comments first um, or relatively early into the thread cycle. So you get these upvoted opinions that it might be popular, but maybe there's other opinions that are also popular that would be more nuanced, but more difficult. And also nuanced opinions in general are just more difficult to get traction on Reddit. Yeah, I think I think the most recent thing that I saw was the idea of like a players union. Um, and I think in theory, a players union sounds amazing. And I would like to yeah. see one in theory. But I think that the the actual implementation of a players union sounds incredibly difficult. Yeah, I feel the same. Um, I think a players union would be a good thing. And to be fair, Overwatch League is probably in the best position to have a players union of all esports just because there's so much structure and security in the contracts. Maybe, I don't know exactly what League of Legends contracts look like, but I imagine with their franchise league, there's probably that similar level of structure. So maybe they could achieve a, a similar thing. Well, I mean, um, they, they, ha they supposedly have one. Um, I don't know how, how good it is. Um, yeah. Oh, I've well, heard stories. Uh, I, I, don't, I don't know, man. But so, but we should probably, I mean, the only problem with esports unions is that there's no way, I, in my mind, it's ridiculous to have a union that spans every game to like mm -hmm. all esports players. It's just the people's financial and, and career situations are so radically different in other competitive titles than they are in, you know, like a competitive title A versus B, like Overwatch to League of, like League of Legends to Overwatch to Team Fortress 2 or whatever, like there's esports in every game, but some games there's just no money to be made. So there's no, you can't have a union yeah. because there's nothing to fight over or there's nothing to, there's no one to bargain with, right? And decide, you can't just like pick this game's big enough, this game's not big enough because there's no clear line, I think there, where there's some games like Fortnite and PUBG where they're really big and they're really popular, but like who do you really negotiate with on the union end? Because every org is like totally separate. There's no... There's no unifying body like the um, like the Overwatch League is a unifying body, and like the LCS is a unifying body. So you kind of need that, I think, to give a, a sort of scope to the union. Um, but right now in the Overwatch League, it's pretty hard to like get people mad and wanting to unionize because they are, to be fair, treating us very well compared to anyone who's played, you know, arena shooters before for Overwatch. This is like a hundred times better than anything that's been in the past. So. It's hard to sort of get that initial like we want this, so we're gonna make a union for it. Yeah. But I think that's probably not the right mindset. We probably should just make a union just so we can be sit at the table and be part of these meetings. Um, but the challenge is who does, who's gonna do it? Because get, who's gonna like pay huge, for it? Yeah. Yeah. There's a huge opportunity for malfeasance, and like you need somebody who's running the union who really cares about the players and really like wants to fight for their best interests. And it's not clear how much responsibility that is. It's definitely a current player will not do that because it's like too, too much responsibility. But if it's not a current player, who is it? You know, I do think we have some power just because a lot of the agents in the community that represent players represent like enough players to where 
you can't just like you know shit on one player and like just screw them over because you know the the agent has enough uh, uh, like the agents are the agglomeration of of negotiating power right of bargaining power you you can't just say um, well I mean you you can abuse players right to some extent but to the extent that a union would really stop you is I don't know that um, I don't know what we would ask for first right like I I don't know what the that key issue would be that we we really need to unionize over okay. and I think that it'll probably be a key issue that people feel really strongly about a lot of people feel strongly about but that isn't being resolved mm-hmm. but right now it feels like every blizzard is really resolving like most people's concerns we're talking about hey we have this concern can you change this for us and they've been very open-minded about it so i think there's a lot of feeling on the player side at least for me it's like well blizzard's taking care of us pretty well right now that, um that's kind of one of the things i was thinking about is instead of a players union it seems like blizzard has been able to take more of an approach to actually fix a lot of the issues here and that Instead of having a players union, it might just be Blizzard fixing them. Yeah, I mean, Blizzard has has done a lot of things that a union would do for us in terms of negotiating, with, like setting the contracts for the, um, with the organizations, right? So, you know, we signed the Overwatch League contract. It's like the first 28 pages are boilerplate, and they literally cannot be changed um, by you or the org. And that's a huge protection. It's protection on both sides, but really it's protection for the players because realistically the players aren't going to be screwing the org over with a contract. Um, so, I mean, there are some bad things in that contract, or maybe not bad things, but there's some things that, you know, that favor the orgs or some things that favor the players. But at the end of the day, there's a lot of things that they cannot change that are really important protections for the players, like being actual employees and getting health insurance and kind of boring things, but things that are super, super important um, for your life and, and your career and for, the, for your stability, really. So the fact that Blizzard has given us all those protections kind of, those were like the first things to fight for, I guess, if we met a union. So the fact that Blizzard is, is, has has secured them on our behalf means that there's just less demand for unionization. I mean, maybe, I think the other challenge for a union is also the, the pace of esports, right? If you're going to have one union per game, then a game has to like last enough time for the union to kind of grow because it takes time and it, the scene has to reach a certain point before it makes sense. So if the scene reaches that point and then the game dies, like, five, six, seven years later. That doesn't that feels like a long time, but in the from the perspective of, of a union is like not that much time. So if I go run the union and then it's like in five years, it's like, well, we're playing a new game now. It's like, well, I guess I'll go do something else. Um, not that that's a terrible thing, but um, it's just like a problem, I guess, that the unions would, would be connected to the life of the game, which is more limited than the, than it is in traditional sports. I think. Maybe not. Maybe I mean, that's, that's what I no think. No one it's, really knows, right? It's, it's yeah. much more complicated than I think anyone wants to give it, it, it credit for. It's a very, very complex issue, and I don't know how plausible some of it actually is. Um, yeah. This, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, uh, another thing would be like um, the idea of uh, mental health people involved in esports is another big one that probably gets brought up on right. And I've worked in mental health the last four years, uh, and I worked in esports. Um, and it, it brings up an interest, interesting question because you mentioned you're provided health insurance. At the point where you're provided health insurance, is it the org's responsibility to provide mental health? Um, I mean, legally, no, but you know, I mean, I hope that's, a, that's a different kind of response. Right, it's a like, different kind of responsibility. Legally, the organization, as our employer, is required to provide health insurance. Yeah. Under current legislation, they have to like you have to insure your employees, right? So that's that's why we have insurance is that we are full time employees, not independent contractors, as like every esports contract has made us in the past. Yeah, we're real employees now, which is a major, major game changer 
it changes how you apply for an apartment. It changes how you, you know, it, like, like it, like your credit check, it changes your insurance. It changes like your taxation. So it's, it's a lot of things. And it generally, I think, although the, some things are good, some things are bad, but overall it's for the better that we're, you know, have that employee status. Yeah. It makes it much more difficult to just fire away for no reason the way that it used to be in the past in esports where you just get fired. Yeah, I think esports has made huge trends in order to actually improve, Blizzard specifically, like some of the stuff that I've seen and heard about Blizzard compared to a lot of other scenes seems to be on an upward trajectory. So I have to ask you a question. What do you want to do with your life? Because right now the world literally seems to be your oyster. Like you could cast if you want, it seems like. You could coach if you want, it seems like. You said you're going to be playing next year, so you're still... A player like it feels like literally any door you could be an influencer every door is open to you what do you what are you passionate about what what drives you to continue making these changes i think if if, if right now i feel like almost guilty for being passionate about the game like i know that i could do all these other things and like help esports players like i'm thinking you know about the union I'm, who who else is going to actually do this thing besides me if we actually, if, if it's going to happen, you know, and if it's going to happen in a decently timely fashion. But at the same time, I, I still feel like I'm, there's like this time in my life when I can be a professional esports player. And if I go do something else right now, that time, back. so my feeling is that I want to, I want to chase this dream of being a pro esports player until it doesn't make sense anymore. Um, whether that's because I decide I want to do something else or, you know, I'm not as, I don't want to practice enough and I, I kind of lose that drive to, you know, be the best I, I still feel today. Um, but I think for now, I just want to, I want to keep, keep playing and kind of, you know, make sure that I, I get the esports career that I, that I know, like the player career that I know I, uh, that I always dreamed of, I guess, and not be too quick to like jump into the next thing. Um, but after, after I, you know, kind of lose that passion, which I'm assuming will come someday, or maybe I'll just get aged out and there will be better young players. And that's how it goes, you know, and I'm, I'm okay with that too. But if, when my career comes to a natural, a natural, um, natural end, then I think I'll probably do um, some consulting, some casting. I mean, maybe the, the answer is just a little bit of everything. Um, I'm kind of envisioning uh, a, a career where I'm kind of working as esports talent to some extent, and then also working as a consultant, helping build the, the, the back end of the industry, um, as well as sort of working on the front end as talent as a player. Um, I think it's really important also for other esports players to like see that you can do other things in esports and that you don't just, and like the, the, the knowledge and the skills that you gain as a player and the experience you gain as a player and the understanding of the gaming community, of the esports community, of the fans, and like, you get so much knowledge and, and connections and experience as an esports player. I feel like a lot of players are just like thinking, oh, I guess I'll just stream when I'm done as a player or something. But I feel like the opportunities for players, not just me, are like way more broad than that. And that if you if you think about it and if you like kind of try to cultivate it, that at the end of a successful player career, you can parlay that into a casting career. You can parlay that into a consulting career. You know, work at working with one of the developers or an org or coaching or all these things, right? Like it's like you said for me, but I feel like that's something that almost anyone can do, um, especially like casting. My experience with casting was that, in my opinion, if you're somebody who like plays in the Overwatch League and you call a lot for your team, you could also be a caster. Like I don't think there's any further qualification because when I get in the game to cast, 
it's just like I'm I'm calling for both teams is how I think of casting. It's very very simple. I'm like, look, okay, so you have like, it's so much harder to do when you play the game that if you can actually count ults for both teams, like if you can count enemy ults when you play when you play Overwatch and you're like calling for your team and saying, you know, they've got beat and grab and we're gonna do this to deal with that with our ults. The casting is like super easy. It's like a joke, right? Because you you can just see all the ults and you can see where all the players are. So you don't have to. You, you know, it's just it's like the the easiest main calling of your life, right? You have you have wall hacks on everybody. You know where everyone is. So I think if anyone if anyone like like I think a lot of players get intimidated by something like casting, like why well, don't I do that? But um, I really think that more more players should think about you know what are these other careers in gaming that I would want to do. In my opinion, streaming is kind of a grind, and I streamed for a while, but now I feel that. Um, I don't know. Like I realized it wasn't making me happy, I guess, to stream. Like I wasn't, I wasn't feeling satisfied or, or feeling like I was accomplishing something. Um, I'm kind of thinking about ways to get back into it in a more sustainable way that doesn't kind of drain me. Uh, but recently I've been really happy just focusing on my practice and just like getting back into that mode of being a pro player. Yeah. I think that people always assume streaming is very easy and I've seen people who stream. It is insane, especially it is, it is. serious grind. I, I could never do it. And this is someone who's worked very long days. I would rather continue back working in a jail where people are threatening my life than stream. Like, I cannot yeah. I cannot do it. I can't just sit there for hours and hours on end. And props to anyone who can because... It's like, hard to, like, entertain people. And and for me, I, it's hard because I'm, you know, someone who most a lot of people think is extroverted. But I personally feel very introverted. So it does feel very draining to, like, you know, just kind of perform for people for that long so I can, I definitely have a lot of respect for anyone who can put out that kind of entertaining content for that long hours that you really need to do to, to grow your stream. Yeah. Um, 100%. Yeah. So we've talked a little bit about uh, like improving the scene. Looking at like Blizzard, what are other improvements you would like to see them make? Mm-hmm. Uh, I think a lot will depend on what the final schedule looks like for season two and, and season three going forward. I think there's the first key question for season two is how do you make the season um, a little more player friendly? Um, and that seems weird, right? Because we do have like great jobs and I just keep talking about how great everything is in our career. But the season is pretty horrible. And I think every I think a lot yeah. of players would agree with that. That like it is an insane amount of like you don't you don't get any breaks. You know, like like you know, one day off a week, which isn't really a day off because you still have to practice. So you, you it's like a day off, but you just don't have to like show up. So you just, you know, you basically get a one day weekend and you gotta keep practicing on that weekend. And then even in the week breaks between stages, almost every team has like media obligations and everything. So the way the season was structured last season and the way that teams have to operate with media obligations meant that you essentially had no real vacation for, you know, four to five months. And that's pretty, pretty grueling considering we're playing this game 70 hours a week. It's like, you don't really want to do that for five months in a row. You know, it's, it's, you know, for sections and then you get like a week off. It's like, if you actually had a week off, that would be make a huge, huge difference. You know, you can kind of reset mentally, but the pressure just kind of builds and it just reaches a peak. And there's really not any any respite anywhere on that road. And I think maybe the experience of that will make a lot of players more ready for season two. And maybe season two will just inherently be better because players are maybe more prepared for it, at least those who experience season one. Um, but for the new players coming in, I would hope that they make the schedule maybe a little more palatable players. It's, it sounds like they're doing, like, they're cutting a lot. But I've heard, yeah, and I don't want to leak anything, so. No, they did an announcement. 
Do you know what? You know what was in the public announcement? Because uh, I, I know 20, like a lot 20, of the season. But. Yeah, twenty-eight games um, over the course of okay, the entire good, that's season. Probably <laughs> um, you're gonna play either zero one to two games a week. Yeah, the um, bye weeks is a big one. I'm um, glad that okay. So I'm glad it's all public because I got I knew that stuff before. I want to leak it, but um, yeah. that made me really excited, right? Because you actually get a bye week as like. I don't know things like that. Even if you get one or two bye weeks in the season, just like a little bit of a breaks here and there, it makes a huge difference. Get that mental reset. I think it'll help the players. I think it'll increase the level of competition. You won't see as many foros because one team's burned out. So I'm gonna play devil's advocate with you, okay? Because they give you breaks, but they do not mm-hmm. say how teams have to utilize those breaks. Yes. Do you think? Because they also generally, I wonder if they're going to change their patch schedule. Because that was a big issue actually with the breaks. Is you would have yeah, to, the patch be... schedule is probably another thing they should. That's probably my biggest complaint is the patch schedule realistically because that was super annoying last season. Because you your options were you could take a break and you could mental reset, but you'd have less time for learning the patch. I think I would be very surprised if that was changing because I think that there's a separation between their development and yeah. I don't. I think they still refuse to patch for Overwatch League. Is my guess. So that being said. Do you think teams that will abuse it? Teams will abuse it, like more media and stuff, and just more yeah, they'll take more media. They're they're gonna give the same amount of time off. They're gonna be like, listen, we need to learn this new patch. Uh, we have more time to learn this new patch, so we're gonna be better prepared than so and so team outlaws who decides to take a week off. I mean, I don't think we're really gonna be taking a week off, but it's more like taking three days off and then starting to practice again. Like, ooh, that's great. That's like music to my ears, you know. Actually, getting a weekend. Like, I'm not asking for a week off in the middle of the season. I'm just asking for a couple days, you know, here and there. And it really felt like that's what we were starved of last season. There's even more than one day where you just weren't, didn't have to be stressed out um, and, or didn't have to be thinking about something or watching some demos or, or practicing or, you know, all the things that go into being a pro player, working with your team, solving issues. So I, I think that it's possible that teams could really, you know, stack up the media obligations, but I don't think that just having a bigger break, it'll be more difficult for fill a bigger break entirely with obligations, mm-hmm. right? I'm sure they will increase the obligations that are on the breaks because the breaks are longer and that's totally fair. And I don't even think a team is abusing their their, their position by doing that. That's, that's a fair, yeah. fair decision by them. But I also think at the end of the day, it's going to result in maybe not, like even if they're doubling the time off, it's not going to double the player time off, but it might increase it by 50%. And I'm, I'm happy with that. Okay. So. That's what I was wondering because I can I know we heard stories about like Shanghai Dragons doing extremely long days like thirteen I don't know how much of that was actual playing or not but I could definitely see teams next season doing a very similar thing with those days off. So. Yeah, I mean long playing hours and then media obligation. It's hard to say, but I still don't feel like it won't be. It can't be as bad as last season, right? <laughs> you say that you never. I don't think it will either. Realistically, I don't think it will be like last season was rough. Like, I remember doing that. I just remember being tired, like, all the yeah, time. Yeah, and you're like, you're like, okay, it might actually be beneficial that we take an extra day off this week so that way maybe people have a little bit more of a time to reset. And I know that we did that occasionally. Yeah, um, exactly. We did, we did the same thing. We found it today. And this just enables that is what I, the way I think of the schedule change. It just enables that. And additionally, with, like, the one-game weeks, there's a week where maybe you get a game early in the week and you don't have another game for, you know, seven days or something or six days. Yeah. And then there's no patch right then. And, like, you can definitely take a day off right there and then scrim for another five days before you play. Like, the, the sixth day is not going to make you a better team. Um, and that's a day off that you wouldn't have had last season. So, yeah. Or just even on a day off, you're still practicing, but it's just a day to, like, decompress. No one has to come in. You don't have to be stressed out. 
another big thing, I think, at least for us, because we used their practice space last season, is just getting out of that practice space. That was pretty horrible, that tiny room. Um, so we have like a better space now. I heard they're making it bigger. Um, the practice spaces? That's what I've heard. I don't know if They're that's... not providing them next season. Oh, are they? Oh, well. Never mind. They're making them yeah, I, think they, I think you get them on match days. It's like on match day, then you get a you get a practice room in the thing. Um, so there's, I guess there's like four or six practice rooms, and maybe they're bringing them together. So they're, hmm. they're, I don't know. I, I don't know what they're doing with the building, honestly. that's I have no idea. It's but a cool building, though. I don't think that it will be the same situation, especially with the addition of eight teams. They can't. They can't make all the rooms bigger and have eight more of them. That's a little much from this building space that I've seen. So it's possible, but I, that would be a big, big building commitment. They're not going to keep expanding that room in L- or that facility in LA when people are not going to be in LA in a couple of years. So. That's true. I'm, I'm really excited for the geo location to see how that works out. Yeah, exactly. That's going to be fun. Do you think that Blizzard should be more involved with their T2 scene? Um, yes. I think that it's important to support the tier two scene better and have it be um, a little bit, um, I don't know if I want to say more organized because I, I do think it's like organized well. I just think that, well, I guess the real challenge for the tier two scene is that it's um, like they don't, they're not going to get the promotion stuff that the Overwatch League gets because it's super important for the Overwatch League to be like the distinguished Overwatch brand. And for, from the Overwatch League and Blizzard's perspective, this is the investment that they that they like care about that they're actually investing heavily in. Mm-hmm. They're not investing that heavily in contenders. Um, but realistically, if you look at the tier two scene in any in any esport, it's never good. Even like the only probably exception maybe is League of Legends. But even League of Legends, if you compare to like the LCS, is like ridiculous. It's like the same yeah. um, marginal difference. I mean, I think the reality is that esports is still at a point where if you're not at that top. Um, the, whatever the top league is or the top um, echelon of play, then the situation just radically, you know, uh, drops off in terms of your financial situation, your sustainability, your your um, security in your career. All those things fall off a cliff as soon as you move down past the top tier. Um, and that's maybe a problem for all of esports more than I think Blizzard's yeah. T2 scene and, speci- and, and specific Overwatch's T2 scene. That's like a really something that esports has to figure out because right now it's just like not sustainable until you are a pro. But if you look at professional sports, like I traditional think it's sports, the same way, yeah. it's pretty bad. I mean, it's not as bad as it is in, in esports where like if you're in triple A, like if you're in triple A, you're probably making 50 K like in triple A baseball or something. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, or, or if you're in like uh, one of the developmental leagues for, for the, like the NFL or you're on like a practice team for, for an NFL team. Um, though you have to be very good at your sport to do that, like very good in the sense of general population. Like you're probably above the 95th, above the 99th percentile realistically. But those players that are in that 99th percentile, but 99.99 percentile mm-hmm. are, I mean, that's, it's a really small difference in terms of, you know, the, the, oh, the share of the population that you're better than. But in the reality of traditional sports is that you make almost nothing and even not almost nothing, but you don't make like big sports money. You know, your body takes just as much punishment, maybe not as much, but still a lot of punishment. And you're still, you're basically making, you know, average, average job money, right? Like not, not great money. I mean, it's not, it's not bad. It's definitely better than than it is right now in the tier two scene. Um, But you're basically, you're in a worse position. I think if you're, you know, in that, that triple a in that NFL, um, uh, practice squad than you would be if you were a minimum salary player in the Overwatch League. Yeah. Um, which I think is like very, 
it's very, it tells a lot about traditional sports. And, and if you even go up past that, it's like the stars are making these huge amounts of money. It's like eye popping. Like, oh my God, LeBron James, $158 million contract. I don't know what LeBron James paid, but it's a lot of money. It's a lot um, of million. It's unfathomable. Lots of it's a, a huge amount of money. But if you just go down and you even look at the professional league in the NBA or something, and you look at like, what are the lowest paid players making? Or what is like, what is like the 25th percentile of player income? And it's not that, it's not, it stops being as insane as you would think it would yeah. be. Um, it's like, you, you know, you, you start realizing, okay, it's not everyone. It's really just like the top players. Um, and that's kind of the nature of, I think, a competitive industry in a way where the very, very top performers are going to receive like a huge outsized amount of compensation um, because of the nature of the industry being so media driven, right? And, you know, those really popular, really um, strong players are, I mean, maybe this is just something wrong with like human nature, but but they seem in every in every you know sport esport to make just radically more money than than the next. Um, then you go down the ladder. It's not. It doesn't scale. Is what I guess what I'm looking for. It doesn't scale um, accurately to what a player brings to a team. It really is. Um, there's like a lot of bias in it. So I I feel like in, in I guess it's a really circuitous way of getting back to the question. What can Blizzard do more for the tier two scene? I think the biggest thing Blizzard should do for the tier two scene is fix um, is fix matchmaking. So it's actually good and make real queue. Like if you don't make Overwatch itself ranked Overwatch a fundamentally competitive experience, then I think in in the short term, you know, five, six, seven years. But if you want Overwatch to really last and to be one of those like Counter Strike S games where it just goes through like graphical iteration after graphical iteration where they're just like the game is so good and they just keep like you don't need to change it you just kind of like keep doing it right keep people keep the game is so compelling you look at a game like dota right that spawns all these other games right just because the fundamental game is so compelling controlling these heroes fighting these other heroes you know taking down the nexus the ancient whatever you want to call it right all these games kind of came from that one idea that was just so compelling so if you want to make overwatch a game like that where it kind of becomes this standard setter where it's like wow I mean, it is. It is to some extent, right? Like I'm seeing all these games come. Yeah, it's like an old. Oh, you hey, know, like you cut out there for a second. Uh, sorry, I was saying it looks like an ultimate to me in Black Ops, right? Like, like all the shit that feels like it's it's kind of inspired by Overwatch in a lot of games. There's like more games coming out that are like Overwatch. But if if Blizzard really wants that to be the case for the super long term, I think the number one thing they could do is is put roll queue in ranked, so that when you play ranked matchmaking, you're actually getting a, something that looks like the competitive experience as close as possible. Um, yeah, that, that's that's really, I think, the way you fix tier two. I don't think Blizzard can like make tier two players get paid more money or make the tournaments better, because I do feel like they do a decent job on, on just running the scene. Um, as far as publicizing it, they could put it on the Battle.net client, but I don't think they will, um, beyond like the championships or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the biggest thing they could do is fix rank so that there's actually like a clear way to prove yourself. But right now, being like top whatever on rank is not that impressive. Mm-hmm. It's like people playing Symmetra only that are in the top whatever of rank, so you just know it doesn't really mean anything. Mm-hmm. That is a little unfortunate that their rank system could be improved upon. So I have a very odd question for you. Did you know that there are romance novels based around you? That is what you've become. I kid you not, I ran across one where there was like fan fiction. Like, how does that make you feel? That is what you've come to. Like, you think about all these famous stars and you have fan fiction. It's actually not bad. It's not bad. You read it? (laughs) It wasn't like a graphic novel. Yes, I did read it. So, but I I had to see if it was any good, the writing style. And I was like, it's, 
I don't think I would read it again, but I was like, yeah. what is this? What am I reading? Because it starts out kind of like being like a, a meeting interaction. I was like, someone describing getting to meet Jake. And I, I read it and I'm like, what did I just read? It's very interesting. I mean, I do think that it's just the nature of esports in, in the sense that um, a huge thing that makes esports different than other um, than other industries that are kind of similar is the amount of access that people have to the, to the players and the stars. Um, and like people streaming is like a huge amount of access. You can literally just ask somebody questions. There's a decent chance that they'll just answer them. Um, but for me, as kind of like more of a, uh, I don't know to say private person. I'm not a very private person. Just, um, I don't know. I'm like kind of focused on what I'm doing. I'm like focused on being a pro player and, and, and casting and like that stuff for my career. Um, and that's like what I think about. I don't really think about like, I appreciate having the fan support. And when I go out to play a game, there's people cheering. And that's like an amazing feeling. And it really actually it matters to me. Like, it makes me play better. It makes me um, really more happy about what I'm doing because I have so many people supporting me. So it, it is really meaningful. Um, but on the flip side, I also feel like a little not sure what to do with it. You know, I'm like, well, like, uh, like stuff like that, I guess, is, is just like, yeah, it's, it's like, you, I don't know what to say about it. It's just you, like, you uh, say thanks and you're, it's like, yeah, that. like, you're like, like that's you. extreme dedication. I don't know what to, what to think about it, but it's definitely, definitely a dedicated fan. It sure. is. So, so that, that, it makes me happy that there's somebody who's really dedicated to me as a fan. Uh, writing fan fictions about me. It's like, yeah, I don't know. Go wild. Do your thing. Like, <laughs> So you mentioned like the the access to esports, and some people have said that that's kind of a problem. That like some of the stuff that has happened to different uh, individuals or players has that been an issue for you? Like, have you had moments where it's been like, wow, this is this is scary, actually? Um, not for me. I know some players have had that experience. Um, I've never felt that way. Uh, Any time, the only times in my experience where maybe a fan has. Um, overstepped or just been a little bit mistaken about what the relationship is between a fan and a player. Um, at least for me, because I don't, um, uh, I like would never, would never date a fan as like a principal thing. I just think that's like, you know, it's, it's a very weird power dynamic. Yeah. I don't, I don't want to have a power dynamic in a relationship. I think it's super important that you be equals with your partner and that there not be this thing of like one person's more important or more powerful than the other. Mm -hmm. And like, I realize that's super important to me. So that that's why I wouldn't I wouldn't even consider it. But in my in my um, experience, the vast majority of fans are like super considerate, and they're more worried about overstepping their bounds um, or doing something to make you feel uncomfortable than you are. So the fact that most fans are like so courteous and respectful of our boundaries and and you know those those type of things that you know maybe there's some people who who push beyond that. And that's definitely not a good thing. And hopefully those players, those people don't, um, or it can sort of recognize maybe that they're stepping too far, can you know, pick up the context clues that not everything is acceptable. Um, but um, in my experience, it hasn't ever been like, I don't know, that I was something that I was worried about. Just something, something that I try to be cognizant of and I try to, um, but it's also, it's you're walking a fine line as a player, right? You don't want to like, you know, rebuke somebody for doing something innocent. So you want to kind of be like, you know, let someone down gently if they're um, over-invested, maybe. Mm -hmm. But then again, I mean, for some people, it's this really meaningful experience to be a fan of something. And it's kind of something that I was relating in my own life to my, the people that I'm, like, a big fan of. Um, for instance, like, I, I like to rock climb, so I follow Alex Honnold um, and all the stuff that he does with um, free soloing and, and climbing. And 
a few of these like top climbers I think of as like big role models for me. And, you know, if I ever got a chance to meet them, I'd be like, oh, like, that's so amazing. You know, I actually get to meet you. And I was kind of relating that to, to the experience I have with fans. I'm like, well, I could see why people feel this way, right? Like you see somebody doing something and you're like, that's awesome. And like, you know, I want to cheer you on. And like, you kind of like follow their accomplishments and they kind of inspire you. Like, you know, he did that. I'm going to, I'm going to go out and do something. So I think they're, for the negatives of, of, of fandom, of being too extreme on it, they're, they're there, but there's a lot of positives that really seem to make a difference in somebody's life. And that is kind of one of the things that keeps me as an esports player and keeps me inspired to do what I do. Cause you know that you're, you're doing that same service for other people where you're, you know, they feel like, wow, like you're accomplishing a lot. And just that feeling for them is inspiring and, and makes them want to do better in their own life. And anything like that, it makes me really happy, right? The idea that you could affect other people in a positive way. Mm -hmm. That's actually something that I've heard you mention before that giving back is really important to you. Um, so what have you done so far to try to give back? Because I know that's something that you really you said was really important to you. What are things that you want to do? Um, I did a I did a charity stream for for Hurricane Harvey streaming um and i i try and I, now I, my thinking about how to give back is is big is, is focused heavily on how to like like the things i'm doing to for esports as a whole i guess like the ioc stuff is main the main version of it um, but i really want to like better the experience for players and to like make being an esports player like continue that trend that blizzard started which is making being an esports player not a ridiculously stupid decision um which it was when i tried to do it Right. And it, I, I actually I mean, recommend most people don't all in on esports. I think it's a. I think you had a very wise idea of, hey, I'm going to go to school and see if I can make this work. Generally, yeah. that's what I recommend to most people. That's, yeah, I, I mean, that's, that's how I recommend it because it's super, super high risk. But I, what I want to do is maybe make it less high risk. Mm -hmm. And then I think there's two ways to do that. And I think the first way is just growing esports so that there's more pro players and there's the scene is bigger and the pie gets bigger so that everyone slices bigger too. Great, I'm happy. So anything I can do to like make esports bigger and more successful, that I, I want to do. I want to you know bring that success to our industry because I believe it has the potential to like just change entertainment um, to become one of the dominant you know pieces of the entertainment landscape. Um, if it continues to grow like this, it certainly will be. But the other, the flip side of that, I think, is to also do things that show to esports players and especially maybe even more especially than people who are actually esports players people who are aspiring to be professional esports players to i want to show those people that if you have this intense passion for gaming and esports that i don't think that you'll be totally unfulfilled by doing a position in esports that isn't being a pro player mm -hmm. right like if there are all these positions like being like from from being an observer to being a, an analyst to being a coach to working with teams to working with players uh, working with the league you know you have there's so many there's way more people doing those kinds of jobs than there are professional players. And I think a big message I want to send to a lot of people who are growing up, like young people growing up gaming is that if you're really passionate about gaming and you're really passionate about sports, you shouldn't feel like the way I felt, which was the only thing that would make me happy is being an esports player. But rather you should realize, look at all these, like this amazing industry that's growing and just like working in the industry and supporting the industry could be really amazing and fulfilling too. And I've been having that sensation while casting that I'm like, it's so cool to make the broadcast and kind of like, because at the end of the day, the players, the broad, the, the, the casters, the observers, everyone making the show run, we're all just building this broadcast product together. So being a part of that, whether you're working with players, working with the, the broadcast, working with the, the orgs or, or the league can also be really fulfilling. So I kind of want to show to people that 
it isn't all about being, you know, you don't have to be the NFL stuff, right? You can like get a lot of that. You can still be passionate about what you're doing and, and find something that's really fulfilling and makes you happy. That isn't like a one in a million shot, you know, mm -hmm. that there's like more of a concrete path towards. Um, so basically encouraging people to like stay in school and build their skills and when they're ready, come into the industry and work in the industry and, and, and find success in the industry, even if they're not a pro player. Mm -hmm. You wrote a really, I like about your idea of giving back and helping. I think it's a really good way to actually improve the scene and grow it and as well to give back to people and it gives different people an outlook to, to look forward to. You wrote a piece on women in esports, uh, which is, I think, generally most people consider very, not your piece specifically, but the idea of it, very controversial. Uh, I was wondering if I could get your thoughts on that. Sure. What do you think is controversial about it? I think that some people don't like to not necessarily peace, but some people don't like the idea of talking about a subject and where people's opinions lie one way or another. Like, is it something that is fueled by the number of people who are playing? Like, could it oh, be yeah. that there's a disparity between the amount of women? Or is it just that women are not given a fair chance in esports? Yeah. I mean, I, I think my piece was, I like writing that piece because I didn't feel like I was, I feel like it's such a complex issue if you look at, um, you know, the experience of women in modern society. Yeah. Um, it's such a difficult issue to, to, to put a pin on. And I think it, that's maybe what makes it so controversial because any issue that affects like whatever huge percentage of the population, you know, it, 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 you know, basically half the population. So some maybe close to that people who identify as women, it's, it's just, a uh, it's just always going to be radically complex and always going to be, defying a simple solution that's like well this is why that happened yeah. it's like you're talking about quite literally billions of people's lives so for me what i what i wanted to do with the piece was just maybe put turn a mirror on the esports community and say well why why is it this way right because now we have gregory in the overwatch league and i mean I don't, she's probably not the best off tank but she's definitely not the worst off tank she's definitely like a competitive player i mean it, anyone who thinks that like women can't compete in esports is wrong you know like it's not it's not true like she she can compete right so so why not anybody else and i think that unless you really believe that like women are like slower or or stupider than men and i which I mean, doesn't I it doesn't make a lot of that. sense for esports to be honest yeah um, like i hope i hope you don't believe that no. but you know whatever so it, unless unless you really think those things some people do yeah. you know some people have those really deeply rooted sexist opinions and like whatever. But if you don't think that, then why aren't there more women in esports, right? Like you have to ask that question because there's only one in the Overwatch League and most leagues have zero, right? So the, so I just think the question why is really interesting, right? It's like you wouldn't, if you, you know, if you, if you accept that women are equally abled as, as men on average, and then why the, the, why do men flock to esports and why are there so few women in it, um, in, in the top level competitive scene at least? Um, I think that it's just like a question worth asking considering um, it's not what I would expect maybe. So, so that's why I looked at like the demographic issue and like social issue. There's, there's a whole bunch of reasons yeah. why and the reality is probably a mix of all of them mm -hmm. is what I, what I kind of think my, my own personal conclusion is. Um, but I think that piece kind of, my point was just to leave it up to the reader. I was like, well, what do you, you know, like, well, how do you, do you experience the community being toxic against women? I mean, I certainly do. And, what about the demographic issue? I, I still think the demographic issue is like the primary one, or I hope it is, because it's the one that will be just naturally solved by by the passage of time as yeah. 
you know, gaming becomes more mainstream. It's, I think it's growing among women radically faster than it's growing among men. Yeah, I would agree with Because that it's already so saturated at the male market that now more women getting into it is like a huge game changer. Um, and companies are going to realize we got to make more games that like aren't just marketed to boys, right? That are marketed to, to women and girls as well. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that the demographic issue will be solved over time and hopefully that'll lead to more parity. Um, but I do think it's kind of undeniable that there's a bit of a, a, a social problem here, right? Mm -hmm. That I mean, I guess maybe it's just that esports is a very male space because it has been a male space for so long. So there's an element of path dependence. And then if you're to be the first girl or the second girl or, or woman entering this super male space is like really difficult, right? And, yeah. and something that I think is important to recognize that even if the community isn't hateful or toxic, and I think at the highest level that, that is true that most players don't really care. Maybe some do. Some are like, I don't know. Probably, probably some some players still do. Just probably, but but um, me, and my team. I mean, we've talked about like, yeah, we don't give a shit. Like, you play the game good. Like, let's go. Like, game. Um, so I mean, I think it, it. The challenge though is that below that highest level where people are super focused on performance, they don't really care about other factors. Um, then that's where it's much more difficult to be a woman, right? Where you know when people are just. Like in the down in the trenches, I mean, which yeah. is something that every esports player survived, is like you know just like grinding their way up the ladder. It's much more difficult, and I and I have experienced many times women speaking on the mic before being harassed by a teammate. Right, so it's like you know it's there, even if you're a guy and you don't see it all the time because you're not actually a target of it. It's definitely there. So that's just something that I think the community kind of has to come to terms with on its own, and I think that'll happen kind of in tandem with the demographic effect. It's who will be like, more, hopefully more women continue to come to gaming and people actually just get over themselves and, you know, realize that this isn't just like for boys, right? It's just like a ridiculous idea that you would gender separate any popular activity. Yeah, I think it's also important that people actually are open with talking about it. Like, I think a lot of people are really scared to give their viewpoints because the way people react. But I don't think, if, I think if we don't have discussion and actually work through things, I don't know if it'll ever change. Like, I think eventually maybe it will over time, but it, it'll be significantly longer than if we could actually have a conversation. Yeah, I mean, it's super important, especially right now in the community. Like, you, uh, given that there are so few women at the professional community and we are models for the aspiring professional community, for people trying to, like, come up in the scene, they're going to be looking to people who are currently in the professional scene, right? So I think it's really important for Overwatch League players, especially, to, to um, talk about this issue, right? Because I think... You know, you'd be hard pressed to find an Overwatch League player who's like actively harassing women who are yeah. in the game, right? I think like most players are like way far beyond that in terms of just like that's so wrong on so many levels mm -hmm. um, as a professional, as a human being, whatever. But to to continue to expand that idea and to to talk about it, I guess like you're saying, it's just just important to keep it in the public eye mm -hmm. so that the next time someone who looks up to to me is in a game that they hopefully I would I would really hope does not single out women on their team for, for harassment based on play, right? Um, that, that's the biggest thing I've experienced is just that, like, yeah, like, sometimes I play bad. Generally, people don't harass me. But, you know, when a, when a girl has a bad round and she talks on the mic, or a girl on my team, right? So it, it's still, like, this pervasive uh, ideology that, that girls can't play video games. And I think that – I don't know how pervasive it is, but it's definitely there. It's present. And I think any any girl I've talked to is like, yeah, if I talk on the mic, people are going to harass me. It's like, it's just terrible to me that that's the reality, right? That most, yeah. at least that I know, a lot of, I mean, most girl gamers that like that I know, they don't give a shit anymore because they're like, fuck it, right? Like, I'm playing games and I'm, I'm used to it. 
but I don't think they should have to. I was just gonna say I don't think they should be. I think they should have to. I think they should just be able to play games and not be targeted for harassment. Part of it is the online anonymous thing. Part of it is that gaming is a space where a lot of people who are, um, who consider themselves like uh, loners or, or or exiles from from you know outside society, it can kind of gather and be accepted. But I would encourage people to really think about the thing that they like so much about gaming that it's space for them. And, it's like kind of they can just get on the computer and maybe escape their troubles. So you make that a space for everybody to do that same thing. Um, girls, guys, any any gender identity. Yeah. So it's you mentioned them kind of taking that loner aspect. And I don't think you were ever like them. But I know you mentioned one time that you kind of were a loner and didn't fit in. And I imagine that was mostly probably through high school. Yeah. Um, maybe- well, mostly it was like the end of high school, actually. It was weird. It was like later, the, I was always friends with like the people in the older classes. Mm-hmm. Um, so most of my friends were like two years older than me, and I had some friends one year older than me, and I didn't really know. I wasn't like friends with a huge amount of people in my in my grade itself. So that was mostly my my last year of high school, which I remember the most clearly. I was just like, yeah, sucks. All my all my friends graduated, um, but throughout the high school, I wouldn't. I don't know. I was just a kid who wanted to go home at the end of the day and play video games all day. So you know, I wasn't I wasn't going to parties. You know, I'm not. I wasn't like the popular. I wasn't playing like team sports. So I think once you once you kind of opt out of those things in high school, you. you end up on a, a different social track. Not, not necessarily a bad yeah, thing. Yeah, I'm saying it's bad. One thing that I've noticed with a lot of uh, esports players is that they actually tend to focus a lot more on games than their social connections. It doesn't sound like you were able to really do that. Um, I mean, I still think I focus on games, but I definitely like time for other stuff. And that is kind of going back to my... like them. They always encourage me to have a balanced lifestyle. And I think that even though I was really into gaming, which is not the thing they wanted me to focus on, they wanted me to have a different focus. But at the same time, I still internalize that message of your focus isn't myopic. It's mm-hmm. just your focus, right? It's like, well, maybe I'm, this is like the thing I really want to do. So after I finish my coursework, I'm going to like go back and practice Overwatch for eight hours so I can be a pro Overwatch player someday. You know, and that, I mean, that, that my parents certainly weren't happy about that. But even though I was still feeling that and like investing so much of my time into becoming a pro overwatch player and making a huge amount of like really impactful life decisions that encourage that, um, that, that I was still trying to make time for, you know, like, you know, hanging out with my friends and, and doing extracurriculars and rock climbing, you know, like kind of just living a balanced lifestyle. And I kind of feel like that has helped me a lot in, in, in being a pro gamer and staying healthy and staying happy brings up another question so you you think that fitness is very healthy and i agree with you i think that people should be fit um i think people in esports should work on their their own personal health a lot whether that's mental health or physical health do you think that fitness should be something that's forced um no i don't think that forcing is a good idea because it makes people like it and it just yeah. makes this like weird dynamic where someone doesn't want to do it and someone doesn't want to like work out or whatever you can't like force them to work out but what i would really encourage is a lot of people have this idea that if you don't like you just like either you go to the gym or you don't go to the gym and for me like i don't really like going to the gym i still go to the gym sometimes but it's not really like uh, some people feel passionate about going to the gym i do not feel passionate about going me to the gym. I go to the gym because i'm supposed to go to the gym but if you don't like that there's so many other ways to stay fit and active that you like, you don't need to go lift weights, you know, like I, I, I just, that's, that's one bad thing is like, like, I don't know, I like to do yoga, I like to rock climb, because I find these activities a lot more engaging and like holistic than going to the gym and picking up heavy stuff and putting it down again. And like that, I, I just think that 
almost everyone can find some activity that is physically active that they enjoy. Uh, whether they go take a hike, you know, like find like a hiking trail near you and go like take a hike and then or just take a walk. Like literally just get out and, you know, walk down the street a mile and walk back. And it's like you you actually feel pretty good after doing that. You, you know, you don't have to be on some crazy fitness. Right? You don't have to rock climb. You don't have to do yoga. You don't have to do any of these things. You just try to find something in your life that is um, very different than gaming. Like use your body in a way that you don't use it the same way you all day, 24 seven sitting in a chair playing video games. Just use your body in a different way, whatever that is. Like just find anything, you know, and like a literally walk, like just walking, fuck man, just take the stairs instead of the elevator. You know, it's just about these like very little small changes you make in your life to optimize. And at the end of the day, exercise is really something like, you know, what, 20, 25% of your fitness, maybe probably less realistically, the much more important thing is your diet. So, eating well is like radically more important, I think, to being fit and healthy than exercises. I mean, you should exercise and and it's important, especially because of our jobs making us in a chair all day. But it really, if you eat well and you even just like walk enough in a day, you'll, you'll probably be fine in my opinion, but you just need to, it's just important not to, to, to remember that we're, we're like, really young right now and our bodies are able to take a huge amount of stress without very speak much for yourself care. on the really young yeah well but i mean for esports players you yeah. know like a lot like almost like i'm freaking i'm like probably above the average age you are too right the average age is probably like what 19 20. so i mean the reality is at our age we don't really have to do any of this stuff and we'll be fine but if you give it like three four five years you're, you're gonna, gonna realize, yeah, you're gonna, be, you're gonna be like me three, four, five years. I'm 20. Well, that's what I mean. It's not that's a like, whole lot of times. Oh, it's like it you, hurts. Gotta, you need to actually take care of yourself, and like, oh. so, so that's and that's and that's for your your career's longevity. If you want to keep being an esports player for a long time, you don't want to be getting RSI when you're 18. Like that's terrifying. Now, there's players who are 18 years old. I think like Birdring had to like miss matches because he had a he had like uh, carpal tunnels. Like yes. I was like, what? Yeah. He's like 19, 18 or something, right? He's like a he's really young, and that's. That's scary to me. So that's why I, that, that kind of like kicked me into high gear on wanting to like stay fit and exercise. It's just, I mean, even if you just like being an esports player, if you want to keep doing that, it's important that, like that your body continues to function, right? And if you're getting repetitive stress injury because you don't, you don't do anything else with your hands besides use the mouse, right? Like if you, if you don't have some other activity to kind of balance you out, it's really easy to get those type of injuries, even when you're really young. So it's just important for people to consider that it's not even just about this like super abstract idea of like living longer. Like when you're 80, you'll feel better because you worked out when you're 20. It's yeah. like, well, that's kind of abstract and hard to consider. Um, probably true, but also abstract and hard to consider. Um, but if you just think about the near term, just like feeling better and, and, and having a longer player career, I mean, those things are important. So that's why your health is important. Really. Yeah, I agree. So Outlaw season one, it was obviously probably very emotional. Um, you probably had to learn to oh, deal with yeah, roller coaster. I, I think all of, to be honest, I think all of Owl was roller Every, coaster for everyone. Yeah, I don't yeah, think it was I just think anyone who survived Overwatch League season one. That's what I gotta say. Yeah. Um, how did you handle? I think a lot of people had a really hard time handling emotions. Uh, I think we saw it throughout the league. We saw different people have different breakdowns. We had coaches who stepped down. Uh, different teams. Saying, how did? What was that like for you? What was the emotional roller coaster that you kind of went through? And what were like your your moments? Um. It was definitely an emotional roller coaster, but um, yeah, I, I guess like the biggest thing is just learning to deal with losing and just accepting it. Um, not accepting in the sense that you don't, you're like okay with it, but just accepting it in the sense that you have to like go into you have two matches a week. You know, like if you lose match one, you can't just like be tilted and lose match two because you're so upset at yourself. So you have to strike the balance. 
and the, you know, I think a lot of esports players come from this place of like, I have to like become better. I have to like make it as a pro player. And there's so much pressure that you put on yourself that when you lose, it's almost like unacceptable. And you get, I mean, for me, I get like super upset and, you know, I couldn't, I couldn't deal with the emotion at the beginning. So when uh, you were getting like super upset, was it like, I'm breaking down and crying? Did you have those moments? Um, I think I cried like once or twice in the Overwatch League season. Um, but it was more like just feeling super stressed out all the time or, or being angry at myself or feeling really disappointed. I felt really most of all disappointed in myself, I think. And just like I would play, like especially stage two and I was like learning Tracer I'd never played before. I just felt like I was losing the games for my team. And it was like my fault that we lost games. Uh, and that was like a really tough feeling for me. But it really also was good in a sense because it made me super motivated and I like played like I think on my Smurf when I look back at my Smurf like all the seasons of competitive where I was playing Tracer I had like 30 hours of, of Tracer only on that account on, on rank season and I was like you know it made me it made me really want to get better even at this thing that I'm like not a natural at and is like not my style of character in FPS games and I had never really played before um, but it made me it made me like really motivated to improve even though it was a bad situation so but I think in the long run, by the end of the season, the more important development really was that I was able to like take a loss and kind of just look at it analytically and be like, okay, look, okay, I made, I definitely made some mistakes. Maybe this actually wasn't a terrible game for me. Like I did some things right, you know, like, so what can I look at to, to do again? What can I look at to change? And just kind of making it more of an analytical process than an emotional process. So I'm not like we lost. It's like, well, we went three two, and on the maps we lost, and maps we won. Right? There's like I can rewatch those and say, and here's the points for me to improve on. And once I started looking at it like that, where I was really focused on just like the the nuts and bolts of it, of like, okay, I shouldn't have pushed there. That probably lost us this round. It's like instead of being super emotional, oh my god, this mistake, I cost us the game. I'm such a bad player. I'm such a bad person. Which is kind of how I felt in the beginning. It's like this is all my fault and whatever. You just kind of stop focusing on that and you start focusing on the productive thing, which is okay next time. What am I doing here? Like, should I have picked a different character? Should I have played the character differently? Should I have made a call for my teammate? You know, like what, what are the things I can improve on? And once I started looking at matches like that, the same way I look at casual practice of just like, well, how do I improve on this? It kind of takes the edge off some of the emotion and you're just like, you can kind of see things more clearly. And I think that that hopefully, I, I think for the Overwatch League, Overwatch League is a huge experience for that. So I think all the players coming into it this season will probably have a similar experience because it is a really, really intense environment. It is a really high pressure environment, but at the same time, if you can deal with that, then it can be like one of the most fun environments ever. So there's, there's nothing positive and negative, right? Because forever, yeah. for every like super low, right. Where I was super upset. I was just going to ask what's, what's super high. There were, there were times when you, you, we won this game that we were like the underdog, you know what I yeah. mean? Right. And you, you, we won a lot of games. We're not supposed to win. We lost a lot of games. We're not supposed to lose. Um, no, I guess you're not supposed to lose any game, but well, uh, <laughs> so of course, I, I just, but, I think that, like we don't get to see that a lot of times. I think a lot of time, like because human beings, I think generally are empathetic. Uh, ge mm -hmm. I'm gonna say generally empathetic. Generally. Generally. I mean, some people don't have empathy. Empathy is just a is a yeah. amygdala being connected to your frontal lobe, and some people don't have that, that connection. And we true. think of those people as bad people, but really that's just something that you can't control that you're born with. So. Yeah. But yeah. Um, so generally, people are empathetic, and we don't get to, a lot of times we don't get to see those hard moments because it makes us feel sad, and I don't think a lot of people want others to feel sad, so like, a lot of times you get the highlights of, like, these are all the good moments we have, but I don't think people realize how stressful uh, Overwatch was for the first season, how stressful being in esports is, um, no matter where you are, whether or not you're a caster or someone else, I think it's stressful for everyone. 
Yeah. So I think it's definitely. good to I think it's good to show that. I also do think the good moments are important too. I will yeah, say. I mean the good moments are great, and I think they're not even. It's like the intensity of the emotion is always going to be matched, right? Yeah. Like if your wins are incredibly meaningful and and huge memorable experiences in your life, then so are probably your losses in the opposite way. And that's I don't know if there's any solution for that, yeah. um, really at all. But it's just it, I think it's important as a player to be able to just for the success of your team to like not not allow a loss to define you as a person. Um, and a win is like, great, you know, wins are different because it's just like, yeah, just enjoy it and like fun, right? And just like get the most out of it. But for losses, you need to move on. And like the process of moving on is for me a very like, you just gotta do some stuff. You know, you gotta like watch, you gotta watch the game over, even if it's painful and you gotta own and see how you got owned and don't let it happen again. And I think that's and, true for a lot of life too, though. Like we, yeah, it, yeah, people really. have bad things that happen. And that's, that's kind of one of the things I want to draw on is even if you're not in Overwatch League, if you're someone else and you have something bad that happens to you, you need to find ways to move on and look at a situation to improve. Mm -hmm. and, and for me, I think that process has kind of been the way my life. Um, when I'm, if something goes wrong, I'm always thinking about, all right, well, let's just not make a mistake again. Like I don't, I don't really get upset when things go wrong. I just get upset if things go wrong the same way multiple times and I could have fixed it. That's when I would get upset or, or that someone else could have fixed. It. I'm like, we don't, we got to improve. Like that's my, always my, my thing is like, I'm never mad at somebody if they make a mistake, but I'm, I'm, I would be upset if people didn't take any steps to like change anything. And there's like a predictable mistake that will occur again. Mm -hmm. Then I'm like, that'd be the one thing that, that I don't like. So if I'm like, um, in, you know, in life you, you, you have some, you have some, right but if you just like you know like i i take this one example it was pretty funny when i was when i was like a teenager um i was in a like this guy we were ended uh, me and my mom were driving i was driving the car um and i was a pretty new driver at the time so i was kind of you know whatever like you know, anyone who's driving for like a year you're not like super comfortable sure of yourself but i got rear-ended on the freeway it was pretty you know stop and go traffic i got rear-ended which in california is like always their fault if they were you basically so like I, I i stopped you know didn't hit the guy in front of me he didn't do the same. So the guy gets out and he's like yelling. And he's like, oh, stupid kid. And I, and I remember it was funny. That's kind of like a defining moment in my life because I was very calm. I was like, are you okay, man? And he's like, yeah, fine, whatever. You know, and I was just like, well, let's just, it's like no big deal, right? Like, we, you know, it happened, whatever. You just got to move on, you know, like call the insurance. We'll get the car fixed. It wasn't like a major car wreck, right? And maybe if it was worse, I would have been upset. But still just like once something goes wrong, you know, like don't cry over spilled milk and just like move, move on. Like, what can you do to fix it? You know, like what can you do to, and we may not fix it. Maybe something happened in your life actable that can never be replaced, you know, but what can you do to, to, you know, find something positive out of it? You know, even a very negative, horrible thing can, can, you know, it's not like you should, you should feel like you have to wallow in it or you feel like you have to, you know, do the proper amount of being upset. Right. It's like, well, what if you just, you know, think about the positive things and what if you just not, not to be some sort of idol, like, Oh, it's fine. Everything's okay. But just like, is there a way that you can learn from something? Is there a way you can grow from something, experience something in a, in a way that gives you a small benefit, even if it's in contrast with a large negative. Yeah. I can relate totally. Cause I took my hand in a snowblower and chopped off fingers. And I know that there, I had, I think I, I, I had a very similar defining moment where I was like, I could just keep letting this, I'm like, dude, no one's going to ever like me because I have these weird looking fingers now. Um, or I can figure out a way to move on with it. And I used to always joke about it because I can knock on doors with like one finger. And it's like, that's that's my thing now. It's like, okay, I can I can enjoy this. I can find some way. I can still play guitar. 
Well, yeah, good. Like, like finding a way to yeah, move on. You, I think you it's realize real. all the things you do still have, even though you lost something. It's not it turns out that that thing wasn't as important as you thought it was because humans are super adaptable. And that's one of the coolest things about being a human is that you can adapt and like change who you are, really. Like and maybe you're an angry person and that's actually something you can fix. I mean, to some extent, right? Like some people are genetically predisposed to be more irritable or whatever, but you can change anything in your life. If you sometimes like there's been times in my life when I realized, you know, I like like I used to I mean, like when it comes to something I'm interested in, I'd always like, oh, let's talk about whatever. But I realized I had a bad habit of monopolizing conversations and I've been trying to like fix that about myself and like change my personality so that I make sure that I'm like, you know, listening to other people when they speak and that I'm and I realized I wasn't doing that well enough because my family was like all very we we're very loud talkers. Everyone was talking a lot in my family. That was that was the norm, right? Everyone kind of fighting for conversational space. So I got used to that. And then I realized I was too aggressive about it when I was just with other people. So, you know, it's just it's one of the cool things about being a human that from on every level, from the physical to the to the um, to your personality, you can kind of affect yourself and, and be better always. Yeah. And you know what? With that, I think this is a perfect spot to end this episode. You can be a better person. Do you have any shout outs that you want to give to people? Um, not really. Not really. No shout outs, I guess. I always feel weird in the shout outs. That's, section. I always ask just because people feel awkward if I don't ask and I just say it's over with. So I figured I'd ask you. Yeah, yeah. Well, my shout out to the fans. Keep it real, yo. Okay, that's it, guys. Till next time. I want to thank you for making it to the end of this video. I know that this content is a longer format specifically to showcase a more emotional side of people involved in esports. I think it's really important that we stay empathetic and show support to all of my guests that are willing to come onto the show. Sometimes they share some very heartfelt things that they've never shared with anyone else before. I think it's important that they understand that we support them and that this is a safe experience to do. This will show others that coming on the show is something that they can also do in order to share with all of us so we better understand esports as a whole and the people who are involved in it. Finally, if you enjoy this content as much as I do making it, I would encourage you to check out my Patreon that I have created. This will help you to support equipment upgrades, future content, exclusive content, and my general ability to drink an overabundant amount of coffee. And make sure to include some tiers that allow you to support this channel and give rewards anywhere from receiving my content early to being able to know the guests early and submit questions for exclusive videos. So I hope you check it out. I hope you have a wonderful day.